Welcome to your sanity safe space with your favorite YouTube podcast duo, or at least one of them. It kind of depends, and probably some rando too. But no complaining, because this is free. Free! This is Beauty and the Beta bonus audio content. Hello and welcome to the show. I was recently invited as a guest onto the Midnight Hour podcast with Irish podcaster El De Niro to give some perspective on how Donald Trump pulled off his stunning electoral upset of Hillary Clinton and what to expect from a Donald Trump presidency. El De Niro is not a Trump fan, but he is the type of left-leaner I love because he wants to understand how this happened, and he's got a mind open and curious enough not to fall for the easy answers of everyone is racist, and everyone is sexist, and everyone is bigoted. I really enjoyed this conversation. There are some areas on which we agree, in fact there are plenty. There are some areas on which we disagree, but I think we really gave each other good alternative perspectives. All of the links for the Midnight Hour podcast can be found in the podcast description. If you like what you hear, and I hope that you will, check out the Midnight Hour podcast and tell El De Niro I sent you if you do. Thanks for listening and enjoy. power in the verse can stop me so matt thank you very much for coming on the podcast i really appreciate your time um i guess i'll just start off and ask you who did you vote for in this election and i guess maybe start off with who you voted for in previous elections since you've been eligible to vote sure well well, thanks for hosting me i really appreciate being here and i appreciate the request and recommendation from some of your listeners so that's really awesome um, I voted to, I'll start with where I voted this time. I voted to make America great again. <laughs> and I am, uh, unapologetic in that. Uh, but, but I will qualify that with, um, by saying that I voted democratic. Um, I voted the opposition party. If you're not familiar, every election of my life, uh, up until this one that I was eligible. So I voted for Obama twice. I've checked the democratic box, uh, in every election in which I voted, which has been every single one, including midterms, um, any, any local elections, state elections, any time. Um, so and this, so this this was this was a turning point election for me. This was a, a deviation. This was a first time checking that Republican box on on any level. To be honest, that's what I was going to ask. Is this the first time you've ever gone red or you know to the dark side, as it were? I can't but. remember. I'm. It's possible I might have in maybe some local or state elections because a lot of the time. There might be some very specific issue there. Sometimes there's um, a, a personal, like a candidate you know personally, that sort of thing. But yeah. you're talking about offices of major consequence. Uh, no, I've never voted Republican prior to this one. And what do you think about Mike Pence, his running mate? I think there's a lot of um, a lot of hysteria over Mike Pence uh, really? right now. Some of it potentially justified. I mean, so the controversy on on Mike Pence. Uh, he was the former governor of Indiana. And when he was governor of Indiana, they passed one of these religious freedom laws that is designed to give business owners the right to refuse service uh, or the, the uh, it's, it's hard to phrase this very precisely. But what they're designed to do is give the business 
kind of a religious opt out or a religious uh, safety okay. uh, away from government intrusion. And so the way this would be used uh, and the way people critics of this fear it would be used and, and probably rightfully so is say like a, if I'm a caterer, the classic example is like a baker or a caterer and I don't want to cater a gay uh, a gay wedding or I don't want to bake a, gay, a cake for a gay wedding. Yeah. The religious freedom law would allow you to do that without any kind of without any facing any kind of penalty, and that uh, my position on that I think has evolved over time. But I can see why people have an opposition to that, and I can see why they don't like. And it, it became so controversial that Mike Pence actually backed off of this. And I, I don't know what the status of that law is now. It might be I don't know if it's scrapped entirely or there was. I know at the time there was talk we're going to rework some of the language to accommodate some of the, the issues that protesters had with it. Cause there were all kinds of boycotts that went on along with that yeah. uh, on a national scale. We had, so, a, sorry, I was just, sorry go, to cut across you. I was just going to say we had a case like that uh, really recently in Northern Ireland where um, it was for a gay wedding and the, it was, it was literally just that a gay couple wanted a cake baked for their wedding and yeah. this place outright refused, and I believe they actually got um, they got in some legal trouble for it. I don't know exactly what happened, but it wasn't it wasn't like seen as well. That's okay; it's their right to do that or whatever. There's no law protecting that kind of discrimination, and as far as I know, they did receive some kind of sanction. So mm-hmm. um, I would say that's fair because it sort of is a prejudice. You know, it, it's not just a it's not just a I, I don't know. It feels like a very personal kind of prejudice to have. So, like, I sort of stand up to that and say that's totally okay. You're on. Wait, it's on the. Sorry, you're okay on what side? I'm, I'm okay on the them being them receiving legal punishment for it because ah. I just don't think that it's. I I totally agree with like a company's right to. Um, you know, they reserve the right to refuse access or entry to whoever they want. But if it's for discriminatory reasons, then I don't think that in our society that that's something that should be allowed yeah and i to be honest i kind of started off on that side but i i've come around on it a little bit and i can still see the argument you're making uh i um i've kind of come around on it because i i believe in in what you were describing earlier so if if i'm a business owner it's uh, i can serve or provide services i want at my own discretion and if i do so in a way that inflames the public or irritates the public well, you know, market forces will correct that too. You know, if you're if you're a scumbag pizza shop store or pizza shop guy and you won't make pizzas or serve, you know, gay people or whoever, word will get around and people yeah. won't like that and people will stop eating your pizza. And in fact, in Indiana, that's exactly what happened. There was a guy who did that um who used this law to say, "You know what? I'm not I'm not doing uh I'm not giving pizza to gay people and the Yelp reviews just destroyed him. And I don't know what happened to his business, but I imagine not good things. Yeah. So, and, and, and to be clear, I'm not, obviously I'm someone who I consider myself a cultural libertarian. And that is why I was previously attracted to the democratic party. Uh, one reason why anyway, yeah. it's because they mostly stood for these things. It's like, you should be able to live your life as you see fit. So long as you're not harming anybody else. And I certainly don't think gay couples are harming anybody else although some people might make that argument i wouldn't and i think they should be entitled to the same legal rights as as everybody else is but i also think part of that cultural libertarianism as it evolves in my head is pizza pizza shop guy should be able to do what he wants so long as he's not harming anybody else maybe there's an argument that not giving them pizza harms them i don't, I don't know 
it's it's a little murky. So yeah, I see what you're saying. I think I think it would be a really good social experiment, and I use that term in its actual proper usage and not the YouTube usage that we see nowadays. Mm-hmm. But if you were to have a Muslim bakery who refused to make a cake because it's against their religion, <laughs> if you could, how would the left react to that? Like, if I see. Yeah, that that's would very be, clever. That would be so interesting to me because I guarantee you that the majority of the LGBT community would say, well, that's their right. That's fair enough. That's yeah, well, that is that is part of the fraud. I mean, we defend Islam a lot of the times. Well, that's their culture. Who are you to tell them what their culture is? Well, the only culture we don't say that for is Christian conservative culture. Yeah, that's the way it is in the United States. We're supposed to tolerate every culture except for that culture. And like I said, I I disagree probably with some of the the really conservative social stances that that particular ideological faction has. But at the same time, I, I recognize that it's not if I believe in cultural libertarianism, it's not necessarily my job to go tell them that they must conform or yeah. else as long as they're not harming anybody. And I'm not persuaded that they actually are at this point. Yeah, I completely agree, especially because I obviously have grown up in Ireland, which is a strongly Catholic country. Even nowadays, like there's still strong Catholic roots everywhere. And so Mm -hmm. I've been surrounded uh, periodically by people of that persuasion, like that sort of strong Republican, like family values type persuasion. And Mm -hmm. I can identify that. Okay, these people, like some of them whom I actually know personally voted against the, we just had a referendum on gay marriage in this country um, and overwhelmingly voted in favor of, but I know people who voted against it and yet I am convinced that they are not in fact homophobic, they just don't understand it because to them that's not the world that they're from, like it it represents this cultural change that makes them afraid, like that kind of thing. Well, and like it or not, there are good arguments. I mean, I, I am somebody who whether whether we like it or not the the two parent heterosexual uh household we can demonstrate through research is the 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 ideal scenario in which to raise a child and have that child become successful so i do think there's definitely a credible case to be made that that's the type of situ that's the type of um family arrangement we want to encourage the question is how far do we go in encouraging that i mean do we go as far as to say these other types of relationships won't be allowed yeah. I, I'm certainly not, not I'm not going to go that far, but there is a case to be made to what they're saying that there is the the cultural value of encouraging that type of relationship is 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 very high, and we need to maintain that encouragement. Is there not a counter argument though that the sample size of same sex same sex marriages is not really significant enough to judge whether or not it is a good environment or a bad one because it hasn't been allowed, you know, like I know couples have done it and stuff, but it doesn't feel like something that could be observed on anywhere near the same scale as same sex marriages in Western countries. So yeah, it's possible. I mean, I don't, I don't know the numbers and specifically yeah. what I'm talking about too, is not necessarily, um, uh, gay ma- uh, gay marriages or homosexual marriages uh specifically specifically i'm talking about say two parent um households versus single parent that type of thing yeah, yeah. um and and i do think cu- cultural conservatives would probably argue that, you know there is a social i don't know if they'd say like a war on marriage or something like that but we are we have gone in a trend that has devalued it as an institution potentially and um and I think there are consequences for doing that. Now, does gay marriage devalue it? That's that's an interesting debate. I don't I don't see why it does. And I would also say that, you know, even if um, 
let's let's grant the premise that the the heterosexual two parent household is the best for raising kids. You know, I can grant that premise and still believe that uh, a gay a gay married couple that wants to love a child can do a damn good job of taking care of a child and raising it better than you know foster care or whatever whatever other arrangement yeah, yeah. that child might be in. I think we can encourage the ideal while still accepting the outliers and that that's what I would hope for. Yeah, that was one of the main things that the no campaign in Ireland had was um a picture of a family with a baby, like a mum, a dad, and a baby, and the the line was like, "A child deserves a mother and a father," and mm-hmm. it's sort of, I I found that argument to be flawed because what you're kind of saying there is, well, I'd rather the child grows up in an orphanage, or like I'd rather a child stays in an orphanage for however long it takes for a baby to get adopted than them have two parents that definitely do love it. But I am biased because I was raised by a single parent and I think mm-hmm. I've turned out all right. So I can't just sort of, I, I it's, yeah, yeah. it's something I really can sympathize or empathize with. I mean, I can, I can understand yeah. it, but I can't put myself in those shoes for too and long. There are, well, the, yeah. And there, of course, you know, there's all kinds of um, anecdotal counter evidence to be provided oh, and, sure, and that yeah. and that's great and um and i don't think anyone at least nobody i know wants to say that like we should we should ban or something like that yeah, yeah I, i'm with them in so far as i think there are things we would like to encourage a little like encouragement i'm fine with banning things is where they start to lose me no matter if it's um uh, christian conservatives wanting to ban gay marriage or if it's um sjw's wanting to ban certain words or ban you know in this case i guess ban a pizza guy's uh, store to or a pizza guy from from selling to whoever he wants for whatever reason he wants yeah that's i i do have a lot more to say about that but i think i'll pull us back into the topic a little bit yeah because just... we, we went a long way off my yeah <laughs> yeah the only thing i was going to say about him too is there's there's hysteria about him, but the the role of vice president is largely inconsequential unless Donald Trump dies. <laughs> Which let's uh, no, just kidding. It um, could happen. I mean, it could happen. But his doctor, if you believe his doctor, he's in the best shape of anyone ever to run for president. Because <laughs> Donald Trump is always the best. Everything. Um, yeah. it, it could also matter in the Senate if you're uh, familiar with American politics. So uh, in the case of a tie in the Senate one of our legislative bodies, uh, the, the vice president could break a tie. But Mike Pence is very much a state's rights guy. You know, We're not going to see some sweeping legislation that tells, at the federal level, that tells states how to operate. Yeah. You know, because he's very much a state's rights guy. So uh, he does not have much power currently, and even if he did, it would kind of go against his personal philosophy to start being... Um, an anti-gay dictator or something. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things about... Um, I, I cannot take any more comparisons between Trump and Hitler because you were looking for something that isn't there and you're using confirmation bias to act like it's... They are so similar. I, can't, <laughs> there, I, I was reading an article that said... Because um, Trump's big thing, he said on 60 Minutes this last weekend, is he's not going to take the presidential salary. Yeah. And that was compared to Hitler. Because I guess Hitler did that too. 
This is straight out of the Hitler playbook, is yeah, what the article said. Okay. But they're absolutely the same person based on that. Yeah. I'm definitely convinced. I mean, Trump doesn't even have a mustache, so I don't know how you can begin to make comparisons like that. Um, it would probably look pretty bad if he did, too. Yeah, but it would look off, especially if it was that white, milky color that his hair is. It, yeah, and it would kind of, I mean, it'd blend into his orange skin, too. There wouldn't be a lot of contrast, so it wouldn't look very good. I'm imagining it looking very wavy, like his hair does. Just... <laughs> Like one of those sort of Mario mustaches. By but... the way, explaining his hair was not anything I agreed to in appearing <laughs> on this podcast, so don't try to uh, get me with any of those gotcha questions. I just need to delete some notes. Uh, <laughs> um, so what I was going to ask next was, how, in your opinion, how did the media get this so wrong? And I'll preface that by saying that most of the mainstream publications that I not follow on Twitter, but they appear in the bubble in the, the moments section or whatever that's called now on Twitter. Um, Huffington Post is one which I do think is genuine garbage journalism. Like if I Good. worked for Huffington Post and... <laughs> My parents were, or like someone asked my mom, like, oh, what what does your son do? I would hope that she tells him that I'm dead rather than have the embarrassment of <laughs> tell him that I work for the Huffington Post. But needless to say, they're significant in certain social circles, along with like numerous other, I'm pretty sure that MSN uh, news, like places like that, specifically online publications, I think, had sure things projected for Hillary Clinton, like that she was absolutely going to win. And yeah like from an outsider perspective to wake up on that morning and see that Trump had been like I was shocked because everything that I was told up to that point had suggested otherwise and I don't understand how they could have gotten it that wrong like I'm sure there I'm sure it's a myriad of reasons that all combine into one but would you like to talk about some Yeah I can I can think of a few reasons and honestly um Speaking of reasons that kind of pushed me away from the way I used to vote, the media coverage of this was a large part of it because it was so unfair. I, mean, I, I, I was constantly put in the role of defending Trump, even though I'm not a huge Trump cheerleader, just because the treatment of him was so insanely unfair that it's just unacceptable. Like, like him or not, let's judge him on fair terms and on what he actually said as opposed to this gross distortion of it. But whatever happened, somehow... The media lost track of its role as a reporter and as a provider of that neutral, factual information. And some, somehow they became the cheerleaders. They became cheerleaders for Hillary Clinton. And I think a few of the factors in play are that, for whatever reason, the polling was a little bit off this time. I'll try to give them the, the benefit of the doubt and say they were working with the facts they had at first here. But yeah. I think there's plenty of reason to think they were acting with more malice than just that. But let's say they were working just with what they had. The polling was a little bit um, off consistently. Not A lot of people go as far as to say the polling was rigged. I'm not, I'm not going to go that far. But clearly there was some Trump interest, some Trump... Uh, Trump voters that weren't captured because all the polling nationally or in states uh, or in you know states that were competitive um, showed Hillary with you know, two, three, four, sometimes five percent lead, especially nationally, and that didn't turn out to be the case. So we're talking about maybe an error that's just a little bit outside the margin of error. I think a few things are to blame there. There was, I do think there are shy Trump voters. We talk about how. We were talking previously about how everything is racist and sexist, and if you're a Trump voter, you're scum. And I think there are plenty of people who intended on and did vote Trump uh, and just weren't going to tell anybody about it 
because of the social consequences. So it might, you wouldn't even tell a pollster. I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just going to go check the box. I think there was some of that. And also just we could observe the enthusiasm this whole time. Trump's rallies were huge. Hillary can't get a few hundred people to show up. His voters were absolute 100%. I'm going to the polls. I don't care if a hurricane comes through. I'm going to the polls. And Hillary's were like, uh, well... I guess. I guess I will. So so the polling kind of lent itself to maybe some skewed reporting, but it's way worse than that. And the thing that really bugged me about this, you could see it happening. You could see media treatment of Trump just wildly unfair and kind of constantly cheerleading Hillary. And then WikiLeaks starts uh, coming out. And we see these leaks from the Democratic National Committee. And we see these leaks from John Podesta, who was a Hillary campaign manager. And we get to look through these things. And there is all sorts of collusion with the Democratic Party and these media outlets. We're talking about things like having them read over stories to make sure that it's phrased in the way the candidate or the party likes. We're talking about Donna Brazile, uh, who was at CNN and is now the interim chair of the DNC because the old chair was kicked out for rigging the primaries for Hillary. And now the new chair is caught uh, it was caught sharing questions, debate questions from CNN to Hillary Clinton prior to debate. So there are all kinds of examples of these uh, unethical relationships between media, between reporters, uh, and between the candidate and the party. Now, we don't necessarily... We don't have that information available on the Republican side because that wasn't a leak that WikiLeaks provided. So, I mean, it's... People like to say, well, you know, they're doing that at Fox News. Maybe we don't have the evidence to suggest that. But let's just talk about the majority of the coverage that was going on. Sure, there you have your Breitbart's, you have your Fox Newses, you have some of these right wing places. But just your, your you turn on the news, you know, your NBC, ABC, your broadcast news, your mainstream journalism like that was just in the tank for Hillary. And then we have all this evidence to come out to show that it's not just our perception. There's behind the scenes deal making that is making this happen. With those companies it, specifically, MSNBC? And- specifically with CNN. And I know specifically with Politico. Okay. Uh, MSNBC, I can't give you a specific example right now, but MSNBC leans left anyway. Yeah. Um, and NBC, NBC, ABC, uh, George Stephanopoulos at ABC himself has been a major contributor to the Clinton Foundation. I mean, we have all kinds of relationships like that where it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily improper per se, but, but it's shady. There's reason to believe that, I mean, you're not going to be giving huge sums of money to to the Clinton Foundation and then uh, being a, you know, be a huge Trump guy, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so it, I'm, you know, I'm not going to make the case that they all were terrible and they all did an awful job, but just speaking generally, this was not an election that was covered fairly. And I think, um, I think the consequence is going to be, well, I mean, we already see viewership tanking for a lot of these media outlets and it's going to continue to tank because the people just want the truth yeah i think it's it's so funny the way trump is now president and if you look at his last like six tweets in a row they're all like a huge fuck you to the new york times like tagging the minute and everything like yeah and then the new york times even published that um that letter from the editor or from its editor to its readership saying yeah yeah i I mean all they said was like we we didn't 
I, I mentioned in a video, I called it an apology, and I think some people are disputing it as an apology because it doesn't actually apologize. Fair enough. What it does say is um, we definitely did not have an accurate gauge on the American public opinion, so we need to recommit ourselves to um, objective reporting and, and uh, trying to be bias-free and that, sorts of, that sort of thing. So it is a mission that they, they don't get it at the bare minimum. They didn't listen to... They kind of existed within the echo chamber is what they're admitting to. Yeah, the thing that I found really insane since I've started reading up on this, because I've said in the build up to the election, I said lots of stuff on my channel about how like Donald Trump is just not great. That's putting it politely. But um, I, I'm like nowhere near a fan of his. But I've had a sort of read of, uh, you know, how since he won, there's been all these like, oh, an open letter to my wife or whatever from different places. <laughs> yeah. One of them I read was from a writer who I really respect um, and really admire. And he said it was like an open letter to his wife. And he said, yeah, the fact that the people would rather vote in uh, a rapist, racist, bigot. This was on like... Wait, uh, calling Trump a rapist? They said the word rapist. Yeah. And I was on like... On grounds? I guess on the grounds that he has a trial coming up for that. Um, is it the 16th of December? He's gonna... But that all got dropped. Oh, is it dropped? Okay. Yeah, conveniently, um, once the election's over, oh, funny. Uh, it was, so, yeah, we're going to drop that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so, I like, whatever, if you think that he is a rapist, you cannot put that in a sentence where it's treated as a fact by you. Like, right, even if it is going to trial, even yeah, if it still happens, exactly. you're exactly right. That's, that's before... Any so of that has been. They said that judged. they said racist, which again, this is a thing that I I, uh, I I don't really think he is a racist, and I'll get to that in just a moment. Um, bigot, I don't think so either. Um, sexist, I could see I could see why someone would think he's a sexist based on his sort of the way that he's treated women that he's been married to and the way he talks about women. Like it wouldn't surprise me to learn that he was a sexist. I don't know how you'd quantify that kind of thing. Like I yeah, don't. But I like, I, mean, I don't he, think he's a misogynist or anything, but I do think that he has a sort of a, an old, an older generational sort of opinion of women, if you know what I mean. That that could be the case. One thing that bothers me about the sexism allegations is they like to say things like, Trump called women pigs and women slobs. is like, well, he called one very specific one um, mm -hmm. a pig. I mean, he, he's called women names, but they are specific women who have done specific things to him. And I've called lots of people names in my life who have done specific things to me. It's because they've done those things, not because of their gender or their race or anything like that. Yeah. I will also, and I, I suspect we'll probably talk about this uh, <laughs> at some point here, but yeah, I definitely grant the premise he's not artful with his words he's not precise with his words yeah. he's not an eloquent speaker so he has a tendency to say things in a way that are blunt and can and they lend themselves to be taken in in the way that you're describing however to the sexism allegation the one the thing they always the one thing that drives me nuts about the left is they failure they fail to make a distinction between uh action and words and i i will grant the premise that his his words are often not great yeah. But we also need to look at his action, and the reality is he has put a lot of women in a, in a lot of leadership roles, often unprecedented leadership roles within his company. Um, and he's he had Kellyanne Conway manage his campaign, the first female to manage a winning presidential campaign. That's yeah. a big deal, but they, they don't care about that because she doesn't fit the ideological mold. Yeah, she doesn't think the right agree. way for a woman. So he has said bad things. He's also put women in influential positions that um, that are historic, to be honest. So you have to consider that as well. 
He could do all of that and still be sexist, though. Like, you know, if he thinks it's beneficial to him to put women in certain positions, he can still do it and still have the feeling that they're sort of beneath him or lesser than him, if you know what I mean. I guess. I mean, I just... But then it's a question of, like, what does he want to win more? What's battling... What wins the battle in his head? His desire to win or his desire to be sexist? I mean, it's... I'll come back to that later, but I suspect the truth is that even he doesn't know. <laughs> but, um... That's... Well, yeah, and that that's, uh... I don't think Trump has a detailed, sophisticated understanding of a lot of things, yeah. and that is one thing about him that gives me pause. Even the things that I agree with him on, I'm not sure he gets it on the why part. That's uh, the thing. That, like, that makes me worry sometimes. Yeah, I, I don't. I would not be comfortable living in a country where he's the president. And this isn't me trying to tell you how you should have voted or anything. So, like, please don't take it that way. Um, it's just what my concerns would be if I were uh, living in America. Um, I I think that you sort of um, have this uh, mantra that you care only about intellectual honesty. So you're not interested in like say, social justice warriors going crazy about what they perceive to be the case and things like that. Um, oh. Like, you're encouraging people to dig deeper, essentially. The way that he talks, I think, is, like, just the first issue, just the way that, like, his cadence or something about the way that he speaks, like, his repetition of these seemingly <laughs> meaningless things, like, it's it's sort of, like, unhinging. It's disconcerting in some way. Like, he... He he has the best words. Have you not heard him speak? He has the best <laughs> words. The greatest. I, Tremendous words. I saw this you're, comment. You're not listening closely enough. I saw this comment online that said, like, uh, Donald Trump's first day in office, and he's being told that something is unconstitutional, and his response is, I'll make my own constitution. Beautiful constitution with all the best laws. And I just laughed so hard <laughs> at the idea of him That's doing not that. far off from the truth. I know. But here's like, the thing. Um, I, I do believe... And, Again, you know, you talk about which way to vote. I will always put this in the context of which way to vote compared to what. Yeah. And I do, I think about it this way. Do I, I trust him to surround himself with good people. Um, and so, and I, I think most of the things he says have a bit of necessary truth in them, even if they're not stated <laughs> <laughs> Even if they're not stated super precisely. Yeah. But I would rather be some I would rather have someone who is kind of um loose with the truth, like I think he is, versus someone who is very precise with lies and manipulation, which is what I believe Hillary Clinton to be. That's fair. And I, I think I do think it can't be said that Hillary is like a bad politician or anything like that. And I completely understand that there's this wave of anti establishment uh, feeling and sentiment that's springing up everywhere. It's not unique to the to the states. It's happened in the UK with the Brexit vote. It's happening in Austria at the moment. I'm pretty sure France are about to vote in um, a right wing president who is giving it the whole anti establishment spiel as well. Um, and it is happening in other places. And there is something to be said about that because I think coming from the left. Hillary is a good choice because the left kind of craves stability in the sense that they do want to keep things the way they are so that they can continue to be like, you know, so that they can continue to be the ones pointing out all the problems, if you know what I mean, like how straight white oh, men yeah. have the problem. Oh, yeah, okay. So they can point the finger elsewhere, but that's one big exactly. reason why they lost. And Ben yeah. Shapiro makes makes this point that I find, actually, um, I agree with in full. And, and 
what's curious about this whole thing to me, like I grant that Trump is not an ideal candidate. Absolutely. And pretty much everyone I know who voted Trump would say the same thing with rare exception. I know a few Trump cheerleaders who consider him God King or whatever. And they might, they might make the case that he's, uh, you know, Jesus's brother or something like that. <laughs> but, but the reality is that the, the right, the Republican party conservatives, all them, there has been an intense battle, uh, this whole election season, about Trump, and there's been a lot of splits and a lot of like a lot of division and a lot of rivalries forms now among former friends of people who are kind of like me and they vote for Trump because they view it as the best option, and people who are never Trump and just opposed to him uh, for a, a whole bunch of honestly valid reasons in that. Um, and so there was. There's been this battle on the right this whole time. There, there really was no battle on the left, with uh, some small exception. But they all basically just got in line. And even though, I mean, their candidate cheated the other one. Hillary Clinton cheated Bernie. The DNC cheated Bernie out of a fair process. And they still were expected to get in line and just support this person and uphold the stability that you were talking about. They didn't have that fierce battle. And I think they. I think that speaks to a flaw in the on the Democratic side, not uh, not a virtue. Yeah, I think you're completely right. I actually, that's one of the things about Trump's campaign that I have looked back on with a sort of a a real like satisfied feeling of him like slaughtering every single like generic Republican candidate that he was up yeah. against. Like he annihilated them all, and he didn't even do it using facts or like conventional methods or whatever it's it's like well he just... he's so great with that branding yeah i mean i yeah. st- my favorite moment of the entire election season was trump debating and he had ted cruz i think on his left or michael rubio on his right forget it might have been reversed but he just this guy's a liar and this guy's a choke artist and we'd call him <laughs> you know lion ted and, and little marco and those names would just stick yeah crooked hillary uh, that's uh, like a huge yeah. thing I, I i honestly think that on some sort of societal consciousness like level that Trump saying crooked Hillary and repeating it made it into even more of a fact than it already was. Like, I think it really embedded that perception with people who might not have even known, like we spoke earlier about how liberals will hear that something is racist and then say that's racist and that's how they think. And I'm sure that people on the right have done the same thing with crooked Hillary and just, yes, of course she's crooked. Like it's, I don't know. I just think there's something to be said about that. I don't think yeah. it didn't have an effect on people. Like it's very, very clever and and manipulative and sort of, I don't know, just interesting because you don't see things like that in politics regularly. But I think that would yeah. be the case for a lot of what's happened during this presidential race. The um, yeah, I mean, it it worked. It, I, he he's good at strategizing these things. It works for him in business and it worked for him in politics. Now he gets the chance to actually um do the detailed policy work so we'll see how that goes that's the thing like i don't even believe i know that he is obviously has a level of intelligence you do not become a billionaire without having to use your brain at at certain points I, i think he mastered the art of whatever it is he had to do to get to where he is but the way that he is asked questions about specific issues by different people and he gives completely opposing viewpoints on it That sort of alarms me a little bit, but also where the media, I think, really dropped the ball was the the first moment that I remember actually thinking to myself, like, is Donald Trump a racist? And it was when he was, what was it, he was on trial or or there was some judge that he thought was trying to screw him over who was Mexican. And he Uh, was like, oh, well, he can't can't, um, do it because he's Mexican. 
And like what Trump was actually saying there was, well, look, I've just proposed uh, this idea of building a huge wall that's annoyed an awful lot of Mexicans. So I don't think that this judge is in the right position to be judging me. And then the someone said, like, what about a Muslim? And he was like, nah, probably not them either. And like what he's saying again is I've said things and proposed things that have uh, been taken offensively by these sections of the community. And therefore, I don't want a biased judge which is yeah. fine and that judge was part of la raza too which is kind of um like an ethno advocacy group like he, it's not just that he's hispanic it's also okay. that he's kind of a an advocate on behalf of the ethnicity um and uh, but this is another classic example like you're saying uh, he didn't he didn't phrase it well and yeah, the way trump exactly. said it is not is not well stated but there's that bit of truth behind it that perhaps if articulated by someone more thoughtful would be better received but that's i don't know if you want that from him we're never going to get it i don't think i know but that's the thing is that the media took that and they were like oh look he's a racist but instead they should have been like look this guy doesn't understand how the judicial system works like he wants to be able to pick and choose judges based on like their ethnicity or like can you imagine setting that kind of precedent for any case like imagine a civil case where a woman is like well i can't do this because a man is a judge like you it, it's it's such an idiotic thing to say but the media was like oh well racism is involved so let's get and and that further yeah. this narrative that trump is a racist and then you have people on the left who are like literally depressed people are crying and are, like vomiting and all sorts because he's elected because they think that 59 million americans are racist and this yeah. is like that, as I said to you before we started recording, that was the turning point for me where I realized like something's wrong here. Like something's rotten about this. If we honestly are going to attempt to perpetuate this notion or this myth that there are 59 million racist Americans who are burning well, yeah, crosses and, it, and like, it, it doesn't explain so many things. It doesn't explain people like me who voted for the black guy twice exactly. and decided that it that didn't necessarily work out and that side has gotten too crazy so i'm going to try to correct the pendulum a little bit and vote for this guy nothing to do with race on my part there's tons of people like me it doesn't explain pennsylvania it doesn't explain ohio it doesn't explain michigan wisconsin these states that voted for obama twice and now voted for trump i mean did everybody just suddenly become racist in those states and how how did that happen even giving the Ku Klux Klan the level of coverage they've given is like, oh, God. I can't even express, like, I, I know this and I am an outsider to American culture, whatever. The Ku Klux Klan are an inconsequential, like, group of, like, rednecks. And and I say that as someone who, or I, I understand that if you're a black man who lives within the vicinity of the Ku Klux Klan, I know they're not inconsequential. But I mean, in terms of their public reach, their influence, like, their ability to, like, you know, court people to vote for one section like they're they're just a bunch of disorganized racists who put on a hood every now and then and light things on fire like they've been the same for the last i don't know 20 years and all of a sudden because donald trump said something that someone decided was racist we have to give all this coverage to the kkk yeah and it's so dumb i mean they always go on this argument that like they endorsed him or david duke the guy running from louisiana who i guess is a kkk a former kkk member or current or i don't know what his history is but i guess you could you know uh, qualify him certainly at least as a white nationalist um they endorse trump and it's like well anyone can endorse anyone first off but second off why does it surprise you 
The KKK probably agrees with conservatives on issues like border security that aren't racist. We just agree that we have too many leaks and we need to fix the leaks. And the KKK can agree on that. So they endorse, like, just because an endorsement means, like, Donald Trump's not taking some KKK backwoods guy's endorsement and being like, I, yeah, I heard all of his ideas and I you know, imported them into my platform. That's nothing to do with anything. And they just, they don't, I mean, Hillary has a history with the KKK. She was friends with Robert Byrd, who was associated with the KKK. I mean, this is the example I always use too. Omar Mateen's dad, the guy who shot up Orlando, the Orlando Pulse nightclub in June. That shooter's dad, that terrorist dad, got on stage with Hillary this summer in Tallahassee, Florida. Might have been, might have been Orlando or Tallahassee. Tallahassee, I can't remember. But I mean, no KKK grand wizard is on stage with Trump. Now, I, I think I believe it was a mistake on the part of the Hillary campaign. I think what they did was like put the people behind her on stage and say, "Hey, there's a brown guy. Get him up here." They don't vet these people. They just want it to look diverse. So that's how he got there, I would assume. But I don't think Hillary I don't I don't see that and assume Hillary supports shooting up gay nightclubs yeah. and be, you know, being an Islamic terrorist. Hillary supports that. I think, well, that's an unfortunate mistake, but clearly they're not the same person. Yeah, so, it's. I I do understand on a surface level why it's um it's, say troubling to people. Like if if I found out that the KKK supported the football team that I support, I would be worried. But going around and saying like, okay, the the this, it's the way they're like, oh, and and these people voted for the guy endorsed by the KKK. Like that doesn't mean anything. Like th- that's not got any weight behind it. That's just a thing that you're saying. It's literally like the laziest way of drawing a line between someone you don't like and something that can stain their character. It's yeah. It's so like inconsequential and just nothingness. Like it's not an argument for anything or an oh, yeah. example there's, of anything. There's there's so much intellectual laziness on the left now, and it's gotten exposed. Thank God. I think this election was a big time exposure of it, and they're going to have to come to the debate table with better ideas and better arguments next time. And that's great. I really do want to make the left great again in this country. It's not necessarily because I want to. It's not necessarily because I think they're right or because I want to go back or anything like that. I just always want good ideas and good arguments competing. Yeah. And I want to make the left great again so that they bring the strongest case to the table and we we get to pick the best ideas based on that competition. And they're not bringing anything right now. They're bringing what you described. Well, KKK and racist, so I don't have to debate new points. No, sorry. Yeah, it's such a backwards way of... like I, I think something's rotten at the core of the left where it's been very good for a long time to be a liberal in the sense that like obama was in power and it's just it's really good when your guy is the guy who's calling the shots and stuff but there's just this sort of for starters i think there's a huge disregard for impoverished white people and like i don't think that they get a fair right at all um in certainly what i consider to be like american media or what at least what i understand of american media i don't ever see anybody sympathizing with white underclass people I don't know if you caught this. I mean, it's so spoiled to exactly what you're describing. It's so spoiled that our our own socialist who ran, Bernie Sanders, our own Democratic socialist who ran and damn near beat Hillary and possibly could have if the system wasn't so corrupt. He on stage, I mean, he has been co-opted by these people. And on stage, he actually said, if you're white, you don't know what it means to be poor. I did see that. Yeah, I did. That was awful. That was a disqualifying sort of statement for a lot of people. Like, it, it's 
it's it's completely like false but also it's pedal it's pandering it's it's so yeah. i don't know it's just drenched in this like falsehood and I, I don't know like how can you because he's spoken up so much for um like working class the working class but he didn't yeah. get any support from the white working class and it's because of things like that where he's just, i don't know like it's because you can't say nowadays that well white people are poor too because it, it seems so excluding of other people if you know what i mean like i don't know it's so strange to put your finger on but in, yeah in... i mean it is unfortunate i mean exactly what you're describing is is a lot of the reason why i've always voted um for the democratic party too because i, I there is a lot of economic inequality that perhaps we should address and I, I previously saw you know i thought that the government and maybe still do do think that the government has a role in providing good opportunity where the private sector fails and i could be persuaded of that probably again in the future yeah but it's been co-opted by this identity politics garbage like you're talking about i don't care i mean i do care about about uh, working poor i care about that a lot what i don't care about is dividing them up into well this one's black and this one's white and this one's gay and this one's straight i don't care about that i just want people to have good opportunity yeah it's, but they it's, do care about that it's a sort of innate positive discrimination that yeah it makes you favor one group over another and in the wake of uh trump winning the presidency like i've looked up a lot of stuff um like i was reading this blog post from a white guy who said okay, look, I've had all these feelings for a long time, but I didn't post them because I was too afraid of being called a Trump supporter, but whatever. I yeah. voted Democrat all my life. Uh, I'm disabled. I'm in the underclass. I earn just enough money to keep myself alive, but not enough to provide uh, or to afford Obamacare. So that's mm. left me in this position where I'm completely trapped. I can't really do anything with my life, and I don't feel like I'm going anywhere, and I just work on paycheck to paycheck and pray that nothing gets worse in my condition because I won't be able to afford And like... That's a person who exists. Like, it's yeah. not racist to be concerned about that person's well-being and, and to think, like, well, we need to do something about this. Like, because you do. Like, that is... Sure. Like, I, I do believe that there's something to be said about black people being a permanent underclass, economically speaking, in America. Like, I have read a lot about how the sort of annals of racism have seeped into modern society. True, nobody's fault apart from the racism that existed well, in the past. But it can be so hard to recover from that sort of trauma like we do see it in ireland too like we've had huge um historical uh like battles with the uk and there are huge sections of irish catholic homes in the north that are sort of they haven't quite gotten to a, a like a level playing field yet and things like that mm -hmm. uh, which they've only just started correcting in the last like five years or so but i do think that that happens to black people in america i don't doubt that it, for some black people it is harder to be like a white person in the same community because of things that are not quite quantifiable like you can't use statistics to show it but there's some sort of like societal understanding of you know certain conditions or things like that like i think that exists i uh i would be much more receptive i i do agree that there uh, are observable inequities of course and and i would be receptive to the, some of the things that you're saying um, and could be, however, Black Lives Matter is absolutely not the correct uh, prescription for the problem. And the only the only reason I would say that, and the the thing that would make me more the things you're saying is, we have cultivated a culture, or Black Lives Matter has cultivated a culture that 
is nothing but the finger pointing we were talking about earlier. There is no, if you go to Black Lives Matter, uh, their website right now, and I, I've done, we did this on the podcast a while back because I thought, I was like, maybe I haven't given them a fair shake. Maybe if I go read some of their stuff, there are parts where they get a little bit introspective and maybe they say like, in addition to creating the good opportunity we need to succeed, we also need to be honest about some of the, the cultural rot that has happened, that has lent itself to this uh, type of uh, the poor conditions that we're in right now. So I went on there, I look at the family section, things like that, I think, and I'm, I'm hoping maybe they'll talk about the crime rate, and maybe they'll talk about the crime in the black community. Maybe they'll talk about the decline uh, or the decay of the black family, fatherless households. And if you're, if you're, if they were upfront about some of those things, about some of the, the cultural problems that are creating or contributing to a lot of the problems you're describing, I'd be so much more receptive to it. But instead, you go in there, and the thing it says is that the nuclear family is a is a Western prescribed uh, patriarchal structure. So they don't even they they don't even see like fatherless households as a problem. They actually just want to blow up the family entirely. They they don't talk about the crime rate at all. Uh, they don't talk about these things that plague their community that cultural reform would help to address. So I'm I'm definitely willing to embrace the idea that we as a society can do more things to help people get a leg up to to pursue success. But I need groups like this, these factions of the left, to just come to the table with a little bit of introspective analysis, with a little bit of saying here's some things that we could improve on to help achieve this goal. And they'll never do it. It's always, you do this for me. It's your fault. You do that for me. And I'm just going to sit here and wait for you to do that. Just can't get on board with that stuff. I I do think in the black community, there was a huge movement in the 90s to uh, completely stop black on black crime. Like I remember because mm-hmm. I'm a huge hip hop fan and I just remember that being like one of the forefronts of that kind of music was stop black on black crime. We need to sort of unite and we need to like better ourselves and all of that kind of thing. But I also think that when you have a permanent economic underclass, there's there are so many factors that contribute to that exact type of lifestyle like those fatherless households and crime like the main cause of crime is lack of education and poverty like those are the well, things right so that... so the the question is is the opportunity insufficient and i am persuaded that in this country if if you want to if you come from a poor you know poor urban black community and you want to go to school and you want to work hard and make the best version of yourself there are so many uh, avenues of opportunity available to you and responsibility to take advantage of them you will get into a school you will receive federal aid and if you study hard you will get good grades and by the way if you're an african-american who graduates uh, top of his class in a stem field you're going to get a good job but do you not think that maybe for like some people might not even be aware of those opportunities because the education the poverty is so poor Oh yeah, and 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 uh, I, I'm fully willing to grant that the way we've structured our schools. I don't know how it works in Europe or or in Ireland or elsewhere. The we need to do something about public schools for K through 12 here because the, the the schools are kind of a product of the neighborhood. The way it works here, the way public school funding works. So if you live in a really terrible neighborhood, you, you're going to get really terrible schools that go along with that. And so you know, I want to qualify with what I said too. Like it, it's hard to do exceptionally well K through 12 to get into a great college if your K through 12 school is garbage. So yeah. that's an area, that's an area where we could probably do better as a society to try to 
I don't know what reforms we'd have to do, but we're going to have to get good schools into into neighborhoods that are not in great shape. Yeah, that's definitely interesting to hear. Um, I guess we're kind of running out of time here. Um, one thing I really wanted to ask you is, what do you think Donald Trump's America is going to look like? Because he said a lot of, quite frankly, insane things. Like he, he sort of set forward his list of policies from the start that were to build a giant wall and to... Um, what was it to like evict or deport 11 million illegals in in like what some ridiculously short window of time um yeah so he um he's talking about i guess two to three uh illegal immigrants now and these are the immigrants that are uh, i guess going to be prioritized are the ones who have committed crime beyond the criminal act of entering this country illegally so That that I that I guess would be a priority. The wall he he talked about on sixty minutes as a priority. So I would expect that to get some legislation uh, legislative push. We'll see where it goes. I mean, he doesn't have any obstacles. This is the interesting thing. I mean, I don't I don't I I, I guess I'll say what I expect the leg priorities to be would be the wall, the deportations like you're talking about. There's also going to be a big push to modify and or repeal and replace uh, our healthcare law, which is as you referenced earlier, is is not necessarily working for a lot of people. It was designed to work. And I come from a perspective of believing we got to do everything we can to make sure people have access to manageable, affordable care. So, and and I think everybody shares that goal. So we're going to have to restructure that. And currently it's leaving a lot of people uh, getting the screw, like the guy you described earlier. So we'll have to figure that out. Those, that's what I would expect uh, to be the priorities. But the interesting thing here, um, is that he doesn't have a lot of obstacles. He's got Republican control in the uh, in the House and in the Senate, um, and he's gonna he's gonna put at least one person out of the court, possibly more. Um, we basically have uh, an obstruction free track for this president, uh, which, uh, if you really hate Trump, maybe you view that as a bad thing because you don't want him. You don't want some of the things he's talked about even to be tried, yeah. but but. You know, even if you don't like him, the good news is here, these ideas are going to be put to the test. And if they suck like you think they do, they're, they'll they'll fall. And we'll get to try some other stuff that you might want to try in, uh, next time around. So I think this is actually kind of a win-win for everybody. Because we're going to find out, or we should be able to find out in this term here, what sort of um, situation these policies, what, what sort of circumstance or what sort of what sort of country they build, I suppose. And I think I think it's a worst case for everyone, even though we want checks and balances in our government. We want limited government. We want a slow process so nothing sweeping takes over in crazy fast fashion or anything like that. But if we just had four years of Trump where all he had really was the power to stand at his podium and just kind of advocate as opposed to actually take action... Yeah, we we kind of we don't really get any further in the debate because we don't know if those ideas would be successful or not. So he's going to get the, these things are going to be put to the test, and I think that's kind of a kind of a win for everybody. Either they succeed, uh, and he was right, or they don't, and um, we get to try something else. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of gloating if that happens. I think. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something else that just sort of happened in the last few days since we laid out the the format for this and that's that Steve Bannon was uh <laughs> brought in as I don't um I don't know anything about I know Breitbart the the website and I know that they sort of court a lot of 
let's say like segments of the alt right or so. I, I know that I know that their headlines are deliberately inflammatory to get you to click on it, and I understand that. Um, I all I have seen on my timelines is that Steve Bannon is a white supremacist and that he's anti-Semitic and he's a racist, right? And I yeah. usually when that happens, when I it usually happens with like say a, a, an artist or a musician or whatever that I like. And I'll hear that they're racist and I'll go onto their Wikipedia page, go to the controversy section and click on the articles that reference these allegations. So that doesn't exist with Steve Bannon. So instead I Google Steve Bannon racism and all I'm finding is articles that are like, and Steve Bannon, who is a racist. And like, I haven't seen why I I want to know why people think he's a racist. And I am genuinely trying to find examples of it. And I can't. And I think that this is a problem because he may very well be a racist and he may very well have been on camera calling someone like a whatever kind of derogatory term. And it may just be buried in the mountain load of articles that are just saying that he's a racist and not saying why. And that's a yeah. huge problem to me. Like, I, I take great issue with that because it's stopping me from learning and it's instead telling me how I'm supposed to think. And I don't like that. Yeah, I, I think that should annoy you. And if I had the good answer on why he's a racist, I would tell you, as far as I can tell, I think it's another one of those by association things. As yeah. I, I think I've heard there was like a tape of him he has his own like bus tape i guess <laughs> like maybe right. 10 years ago he said something that was like um something that was skeptical of the jews or so I, I don't know these are all there's nothing that's obvious and a lot of the times the association that's made is just the association to breitbart itself well who's the star of breitbart really i mean milo has risen to, to the star of breitbart at this point milo is a gay jew I don't know if uh, Steve Bannon, the anti-Semite, is going to put a gay Jew in such a position of power and allow him to rise to be a star. And then you run it, they associate him with Breitbart all the time, and they like to ask, like, or they like to act like it's this tiny alt-right white supremacist corner of the internet. But it's, it's, I think it's the most shared news source on Facebook at this point is Breitbart. So that's not to say everything they publish is right or correct, but you run into the same problem of. Are we, if it's just by association with Breitbart, are we really, if it, all the people sharing stuff and talking about it on Facebook, are they all racist too? I mean, we have this huge society of racists and white supremacists and anti-Semites that are, that are sharing this stuff all over. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I, I, like you, I welcome the evidence. Um, I've seen very flimsy evidence so far. And, um, if it's out there, I'd be happy to take a look at it, but. Like you, I can't really find it. The thing I saw today was somebody um, on my timeline saying, well, look at his ex-wife's, what was it, like her dialogue in the divorce settlement or something like that. And it was like, make up your own mind. And I was like, yeah, I I would love to read this and believe it to be true. But at the end of the day, he was found not guilty. And like he, like nothing has come of these allegations. So that's not to say that they're not substantial in some way but if they happened in front of a judge and the judge or the jury or whatever have decided it's not significant enough to like it's just not you can't just say just because he has been labeled a racist that he is one and again i'm I'm saying he genuinely could well be but i haven't seen the evidence and therefore i I can't put my foot to the floor on this and say god damn it he's a racist and we have to get him out my guess is this is just another small representation of action in general, another representation of why they lost and why they're fools to double down on these things even after the electoral loss. Because I get, I bet, 
a lot of this is very much similar to the stuff you were describing earlier with the Hispanic judge or some of the things Trump has said about women, where I'm sure if we go down this rabbit hole, we will find a quote, whether it was yesterday or possibly 15 years ago, where Steve Bannon maybe said something that is questionable. And of course, we probably won't be provided the full context of the statement. So maybe there's something loosely questionable out there. And it is being drummed up by this mass hysteria of people on a witch hunt, racism and sexism and bigotry. That that has been the story of this entire election cycle. And that's why they lost. And I'm I'm guessing the people who haven't learned that, who haven't spent the time being introspective to figure out why they lost, are just going to keep doubling down on this crap. And Steve Bannon is the latest victim, if you want to call it victim. But that's my guess. I, I welcome being uh, I welcome somebody with hard evidence to prove me wrong. Um, so how much control is Mike Pence going to actually have in the White House? This is something that I don't fully understand. Like, I know, as as we said earlier, if Trump dies or... If, see, I have this theory that's obviously a lot of people would agree with me, that Donald Trump ran for president to promote his book, and it's kind of gotten a bit out of hand now, and he realized... It backfired. <laughs> yeah, like, he actually won. Like, it seemed at one point like he was doing everything he could to disqualify himself from the presidency, and yet he still managed to win. So, yeah. um, a lot of people suspect that Trump hired Mike Pence as his sort of all right, look, man, I'm in way over my head here and I need a bit of guidance. And he went to Mike Pence for that guidance. Um, I don't believe that Donald Trump is anti-LGBT at all. I don't think he cares either way. I think he's totally fine with people being gay. And I think him waving that LGBT flag um, and as well him promising to defend the LGBTQ against foreign invaders to a chorus of applause from the Republicans and then him stepping back and saying, as a Republican, it is so good to hear you applaud that. Those were sort of really interesting moments for me in the campaign because Mike Pence, as we know, is in favor, or at least was at one point in favor of gay conversion therapy, which mm-hmm. is a really questionable, and in a lot of ways, I've read like uh, first-hand accounts of gay conversion therapy. I read one, like I think, five years ago on Cracked or something like that that um, obviously paints it in a very negative light. I mean, I think it is a really inhumane thing to do to a person anyway, like cultural difference or not. But Mm -hmm. I I think Mike Pence definitely has some anti-homosexual like uh, tendencies or leanings. And that worries me a little bit because I feel as though maybe Mike Pence will have more control or more input than the average VP does. Do you think that that's possible or? Well, I I would, um, I mean, the vice president role is very minimal so he, uh, as a practical matter he really doesn't have much does he have access to the president sure but i mean let's let's um let's presume worst case scenario like you're saying where he the power that he has is basically kind of a minimized version of it's not even it's a minuscule version of the power that the president has which is like maybe some influence so the president of course has the power to sign things into law to issue executive orders to do a lot of things that the vice president just doesn't do unless he becomes president but even if we presume that he has a lot of influence with the president and a lot of influence with legislators i mean on the issue of of gay marriage in this country that's been decided by the court and that's a year and a half old now um even if even if they were to stack the court with justices who would overturn that and return it to the states i got to think a lot of states given that they've been granting marriage certificates to same-sex couples for a year and a half, I 
maybe some states would want to go back on that now. And like, I don't know what you do. Do you nullify the ones that you gave out? Do you grandfather those in? It just creates a mess for them that I'm not sure they're interested in anyway. So I really, plus I don't know that any, I mean, to, to get that reconsidered by the Supreme Court, a state would have to challenge it again anyway. I'm not convinced given the mess it would create, a state would want to do that given yeah. where we are now. So that I think that's unlikely. If you talk about some of the things like the religious freedom law, that he had in Indiana. I mean, you're not you're not going to do that at the federal level, and I, I don't even think that you could, to be honest. I mean, this is Mike. Like I said, Mike Pence comes from a, a states' rights philosophy, and yeah. I, I can't imagine him trying to impose these sorts of things on other states because his whole philosophy is in Indi- Indiana is my state, and in Indiana, this is how we've decided we want to run things. So, federal government, don't tell me in Indiana how to run Indiana. Well, I can't imagine him then going to uh, to the federal government and saying, okay, um, you know, okay, California, you very liberal state, guess what? You're going to stop all your pro-gay stuff. I mean, he, he, I guess maybe if he wanted to try to do something like that, but he doesn't have the power to do it, yeah. and he'd be a huge philosophical hypocrite for doing it. So I I think the Mike Mike Pence hysteria is way way overblown but um you know I've been wrong about a lot of things this year so uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll see I I just, I just don't I don't think there's going to be some anti-gay but it's, it's just not where the country's at um public opinion wise either Yeah uh, certainly on the issue of marriage now when you get into these religious freedom areas it gets a little dicier cuz then you have kind of competing interests but just on the question the general question of should gay people li- be able to live the same quality of life that you can and have the same legal rights and access to the same services that you can? This country is mostly in a place that says yes, with rare exception. So he'd have, I mean, you are essentially going against the will of the people at that point too. Yeah. So it, like you're talking about a serious insurrection on levels that have never before been seen from Mike Pence to... Yeah, plus they just weren't elected on that. I mean, it's Donald Trump's presidency, and he was elected on issues that really have nothing to do with the LGBT stuff. That I mean, that was rarely discussed, and like you said, when it was, it was like, it was pro. I mean, it it was rainbow flags and stuff. It wasn't, let's take things away and take away rights and all that. There's something about that that I really like. I, I don't really know if I can put it into words, but it's sort of this... I don't know if you ever get it when there's someone that you strongly disagree with on almost everything, but then you find that middle ground and it's sort of like, I don't know, it just makes you feel good when you agree with someone about something. I don't know if you know what I mean. And, and you should. And you should because it shows you're not like a rigid ideologue, you know? Yeah. Or you're, you're a person that's capable of separating separating issues out and taking each, each issue on its own, and you're able to separate the issue and the message from the messenger. It's very good to see someone like Donald Trump, and I gather you, you probably don't like him very much, but you're still taking everything he says and proposes on its own. You're not saying, well, Donald Trump said it, so it must be wrong. Let me figure out how it's wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that is something that's really important. But I also feel like I'm an adult. Of course I think like that. Like It's so, yeah, well, it's so ludicrous to not think like You would like think. That. <laughs> yeah, I know. You need to come visit some uh, college campuses in this country sometime. I would rather not if, <laughs> if they sound anything like what we've been talking about. Um, just real quick, I, I know we're running rapidly out of time here. Um how do you think his presidency is going to affect foreign relations? By which I mean he's kind of said a lot of things about... Uh, one thing from a Eurocentric point of view, um, he... 
so he said at one point that NATO was a terrible deal for America um, and that he seemed very against NATO, right? Which worried me because NATO and uh, strict EU um, barriers to trade for Russia are pretty much the only thing that's keeping Russia at bay. Like they, they went into Crimea. Um, they've always had this sort of thing about I guess just wanting more control like they went into Georgia as well like, and this is in the last few years like I think Russia are kind of a threat they're doing a lot of strange things I don't know if you're familiar with uh, a guy called Vladislav Surkov who works in the Kremlin he's one of Putin's mm-hmm. main advisors but he's invented this new form of political engineering that's so unpredictable and it's really hard to know what their intentions are like they're in syria at the moment and as far as i can tell nobody really understands why they're even in syria so from a eurocentric point of view i sort of fear that quest for power that they're on and i fear after brexit i fear the power of a fractured eu and what trump proposes would be a defunded nato to keep that power at bay and i just worry that now this is like real tinfoil hat stuff almost or or maybe it's just overly succumbing to the fear-mongering but i do worry about his friendship with vladimir putin or at least the way that vladimir putin is very obviously playing donald trump and the way that donald trump just doesn't understand that that's happening to him like you know what i mean like (sighs) yeah i um i and i will grant in the interest of full disclosure here, international relations and international politics are, are definitely not a strong suit for me. So, uh, you know, take, take what my view with a grain of salt, to be honest, cause I'm not well versed on a lot of facts, um, uh, in the international context. But, um, I will say this. I think the, uh, I'm, I can entertain the possibility that Vladimir Putin is not a great guy on his own merits and, um, but but considering him in context, I, I think that the the left here has gotten hysterical about that relationship. And yeah, I mean, one of the main points uh, against Hillary Clinton was her hostility to Putin in the context uh, of Syria, context of some of the conflicts in Middle East, in the Middle East. And what I, I'm the way I perceive this is, you know, Putin and Putin's Russia might not be great, but the reality is they are—they are also a nuclear power, and the reality is we share the goal of defeating something that I view as much, much worse in ISIS uh, and some of the jihadism that exists in the Middle East. So, if it means being slightly too cozy or friendly with Putin in the interest of not having nuclear tension and defeating what I view as a very serious uh, cultural, possibly existential threat to the United States in ISIS. Um, I'm, I'm okay with that. And I mean, we, we've been allied with Russia in the past to fight the greater evil. And um, in this case, you know, I, I kind of view that in sort of the same way. I don't think being friends with Russia in the context of fighting a common enemy is the worst thing ever. And if, if there are um, differences to sort out after I'm fine with that, but, um, you know, like I said, take my take my analysis loosely because I, I just don't have a detailed understanding of a lot of the facts in play here. I just see one enemy of the United States, and I think, yeah, that to tackle that. So That's anyone fair. who anyone who's friendly with us in that regard is cool. Uh, he's cool in that context. 
and then of course I also see someone with weapons that could destroy us. And if we can be friends with we- people with weapons who can destroy us, that's also cool. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> I know that's fair. kind of a simpleton outlook, but that's that's the way I view it. Um, um, and it's perhaps more complex than that. I guess finally, uh, what do you think about Trump actually eliminating ISIS? Because he definitely did a lot of flexing um, yeah. and a lot of detracting too, I feel. Um, I don't think he's fully educated on ISIS. I don't think he really even knows what ISIS is. Like th- there's been a lot of times that I've read where he has sort of displayed like a what I would perceive to be a lack of understanding on global issues in general but specifically i don't think he knows what's really happening in syria i don't think he i know that he knows that isis are terrorists and i think that's probably the sort of length of what he actually thinks about them i don't i don't know what his proposals are or anything like that like do you think he's do you think he stands a chance of eliminating them Oh yeah, he has a secret plan to eliminate them. He just couldn't tell anybody because oh, he doesn't want to tell me. He's had the secret greatest best plan for like a year and a half or more now. He wouldn't tell Obama either. The secret plan. I have faith in the secret plan. Um, <laughs> oh, that's I good. You know, I, to, like you, I don't. Um, to be completely honest, I have not or seen or um, read a specific plan from him yet to take out ISIS. And I think, seriously speaking, part of that is because it is actually secret. I'm not even (laughs) joking about that part. Yeah, of course. Which is kind of a bad thing, but here's the thing about Trump and political Islam in general. And I don't know what the situation is like in Europe, but in this country, it's very clear that political Islam, uh, and especially the variety that is practiced, the barbaric variety that is practiced by ISIS, is... Uh, as a serious threat to not only our culture, but it's it's incompatible with with free, secular, democratic society. So uh, they, at a fundamental level, want to destroy everything we stand for. And there's the left in this country, in the interest of pursuing the tolerance and the open-mindedness and the acceptance that they're always uh, you know, uh, going on and on and on about, has refused to talk about this in the context of Islam, the ideology. And so Trump has been the one candidate willing to stand up there and talk about political Islam or radical Islam or whatever you want to talk about, uh, however you want to characterize the idea that is Islam that is antagonistic or is an enemy to the things that we stand for, not only in this country, but the things that we stand for globally. So just his honesty, to be honest, there's just his honesty about what the problem is was attractive to people like me Um, because the alternative in Hillary Clinton is someone to say like, well, terror has no religion. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I mean, there's a clear motivating force here and we need to be honest about what's going on. So I don't, I'm not aware of a a sophisticated plan from Trump and I would like to see one and I would like to read one, but I am also, I I would also, I'm comfortable with starting uh, at a point of, of honesty, of intellectual honesty and being like, if we, uh, if we agree on diagnosing the problem here, we can sort out a plan of attack. With the opposing party, they don't agree on the diagnosis of the problem. ISIS, ISIS has nothing to do with Islam. That's just that they're just a perverted form of it. Okay, well, we can sit here and talk about which polite words to use and the semantics of this, or we can actually get to the heart of the issue. And um, you know, the, the bar is always much lower for Trump, whether that's fair or not. But in this case, like him just using the right words 
being honest with the right words is sufficient for me uh, compared to the alternative. And like I said, it's always compared to the alternative. Yeah, because every time you say that, I want to be like, but what about... And then you're like, well, it compared to... And I'm like, ah, <laughs> okay. Just because of, I don't know, the fact that Trump has just said so many things, so many contradictory things, and so many things that I... Huge things, great things, beautiful things that I just don't know if I can... I, I, I don't know if I can imagine a, a situation where I wouldn't be alarmed by what I'd perceive to be like a lack of understanding of just basic level politics and sort of what's happening in the world around him and stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, I, I totally understand. And I say, I share that concern. And like I said, the choice is someone who seems a little bit uninformed or not keen on the details versus someone who is very keen on half truths or outright lies like someone you are are this is the i guess this would be the difference i am not convinced trump is trying to manipulate me i think at worst he just is kind of intellectually absent which is not good <laughs> yeah but he i don't think he's trying to manipulate me the alternative is someone i'm convinced is trying to manipulate me and the american populace and i think there's sufficient evidence to demonstrate that so you would like a situation like I was talking about earlier, make the left great again. I'd like a situation where we're choosing between like, I don't know, filet mignon and uh, I don't know what, what's some fancy dinner you could choose. <laughs> you want like, you want two excellent choices on the menu and you're going to choose from two excellent choices. Instead we have Trump who's kind of like um, a few day old peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> and then you have Hillary. That's like uh, uh, spoiled milk. You know, <laughs> one one definitely is going to make you sick. Um, do you have time for just one more question? Yeah, for sure. Um, what what would your biggest fear have been if Hillary were to be elected? Like, what's the worst case scenario there for you? Um, because um, obviously you don't think much of her, and your uh, and her like motives are unclear to you. Like, what do you think yeah. that she would do? If you know what I mean. I, uh, truthfully, the one, the thing, I, I could speak to the issues of her corruption, which I think are really bad, uh, her collusion with the media and kind of bad, bad relationships she's had all over that I worry would just get worse if she was president. But honestly, the things that she say, uh, that she said that worry me the most are some comments that I think are kind of hostile to Bill of Rights values, um, and, and our constitutional values. And actually, there was one point at which Trump agreed with her too in the debate that just bugged the hell out of me. But, um, I, I think that she is part of a, I, I worry. See, this is where it gets a little bit sticky too, because if I'm going to be honest, Trump has said some things about constitutional values that bug me too. Like Trump has said, we're going to tighten up libel laws and make it, you know, we're going to be able to sue all these reporters who say bad things, which yeah. gives me pause on First Amendment values, free speech values. Plus, what are Hillary, those libel laws that, like what is what law specifically is he talking about there that he can tighten up in order to sue the media for saying like that doesn't exist. I, That's I don't think yeah I don't think he knows to be yeah. honest. But what he's <laughs> what he's talking about in concept. But Hillary has said some things and it's part of this culture on the left that uh, in my view is hostile to the First Amendment principles, free speech principles, in that we're gonna you know these these certain words are are gonna be off the table. We're not gonna. We're going to we're going to word police and we're going to make sure that hate speech is not OK and all of these kind of ambiguous things they say that aren't uh, anti First Amendment in law yet. But we're seeing the, the breeding of that culture that starts to bring the values that are the First Amendment into play. And Trump is a middle finger to that. She also said 
Um, she also said at, at one of the debates, she's big on this, um, this no fly zone, um, or no fly, no buy as far as our second amendment rights are concerned. So if you're on a terror watch list, you're going to be banned, uh, from purchasing a firearm, which, which, uh, access to which is guaranteed, uh, under our second amendment. The, the thing that worries me about that is not just, and Trump agreed with that, which I think if a, another mind got to him and said, you, you should walk that back, he might. But what bothers me about that is not just guns, even though I do think that your right to, to self-preservation is something we need to protect. What bothers me about that is she's saying that we think your constitutional rights, your, the, the rights uh, that are the government is not to touch, they're not given to you, they're inalienable rights that the government is not to touch. We think those should be um, suspended at the whim of a bureaucrat because we say so without due process. If you're on the terror watch list, you haven't been accused of a crime, you haven't gone through the, the, the judicial process, you haven't been convicted of any, there's, there's no assessment of guilt made. It's just someone, some bureaucrat at the federal level has said, eh, I think this guy is maybe a terrorist. Okay, so yeah. we're going to start taking away constitutional rights because someone at the federal level has decided that you're shady. I, I, that makes me wildly uncomfortable. And it's, it's, it was, people like to think about that as a gun issue, and on a surface level it is, but it's so much more than that. If yeah, you that's believe very our interesting. Con- I, I'd never thought of it that way before, ever. Like, to me, like I was like, yeah, well, that makes perfect sense. But when you put it like that, and you do put it into the, the concept, or the, sorry, the context of it infringing, like, that does make a lot of sense to me, even though I, I might not necessarily agree with it on a surface level, as you said, because it's a gun issue, but... Yeah, yeah you and are maybe, right maybe you dispute the Second Amendment, and and a lot of people do. I mean, I think the people who are kind of opponents of the way guns work in this country, I think the honest ones just question the the amendment itself, as opposed to trying to say, no, I, I'm in favor of the amendment, I just, we're going to kind of carve away at it in all these different ways. We can debate whether the amendment is an, is a worthwhile thing to have. What we can't debate, you know, like I was saying, we have what's enshrined in the Constitution is not is not just willy-nilly take it away if someone at the federal level says so. No, these are things the government is not to touch. And I don't care if, if someone thinks that you have terrorist associations. I'm just not comfortable with that because it's just one guy's call. Or if someone in the FBI says so, sorry, your constitutional rights are suspended. No, not down with that. Yeah, yeah, I completely get that too. That's a perfectly rational way of looking at it. Um, Thank you very much for appearing on the podcast. This was awesome. Yeah, man, this was this was a great discussion. Yeah, it was so very I enlightening. And I I really hope that like the people listening at least will sort of uh, like I don't know, just I mean, make up your own mind definitely, but try and keep an open mind with the way that media is sort of phrased and the way it's targeted at you and stuff like that. I think that's really important. But uh, yeah, dude, I really appreciate you coming on. It was awesome. Well, thanks a lot.